everyone, and welcome to another episode of Relative Pitch. It is an absolute pleasure to have Dylan Rook Maddox and Kate Nishimura, the Band Room Podcast, with us here today. Hello, everybody. Oh my gosh, hello. Hello. Good job. Wow, when when two worlds (laughs) collide. (laughs) Yeah. This is so interesting because this is the first time that we're having an actual podcast on. We've had Garrett McQueen from Triloquy on, but not as uh, Triloquy, but as just as Mm. Garrett. And so this is the first time we've kind of done this and it's kind of wild. It's awesome to have you guys here, especially because we talk a lot about very similar things. And we've met, uh, we met Dylan at a conference Mm -hmm. at Midwest, actually. That's our connection. Thank God I met you. Thank God you <laughs> saved me from EgoFest 2022. Oh my gosh, EgoFest. <laughs> Are we? That's a good. That's I was a like, good wait. No, sorry, I, too soon. Too soon. Oh no, we'll get there. We will return to that. But I, I mean, for our audience who may not have encountered your podcast yet, can we know more about you and just how this came to be? Mm-hmm. I'll save you from my own biography for now, at least. Um, the podcast was started in 2017, so it's one of the older band podcasts pre-pandemic, <laughs> um, and it started just as me wanting to share band music, uh, specifically a lot of Canadian repertoire that I knew um, maybe not had was wasn't getting out as much as uh, I had wanted. So it was my way of kind of sharing um, that that music that I loved, and each piece had a little story attached to it. It was just like a little radio show. Um, and then uh, it became it became troublesome to gather all those copyrights and ask permissions to do all that. So I kind of moved away from playing music. And uh, at, around that time, I had started adjudicating quite a bit and doing clinics. And, you know, as you do at those things, you go out usually after a hard day of inspiring and changing lives because that's thirsty work. And um, there's lots of conversations I was having with my colleagues um some of which were university professors some of which were you know high school educators it didn't really matter who they were but there were these stories and conversations we were having that i really wanted to share so usually when i would go do one of these things i would end up starting record interviews and then it switched switched to an interview format and then i was sick of talking by myself and i'm really lucky that i had a best friend who happened to be connected to our uh, music world and it was a composer amazing person all around, Kate Nishimura, uh, who joined. What are are we going on to our two year anniversary soon? We are. Yeah. Can you believe that? That's insane. So it's yeah. been. Uh, we're going on to ninety episodes now. Um, so it's been a while, and we've talked to lots of great people, and that's kind of what it is. But we're just happy to talk to people that we love and respect, and want their stories to be heard. Um, and there's lots of other fun projects that have been connected to the podcast since, but that's about it in a nutshell. Yeah. I, um, I agree with everything that, that Dylan has already said. Um, I'll just add that. I think it's, it's a real treat for us as co-hosts, uh, to get to have conversations with each other regularly about these topics, but also to invite people that we admire and are inspired by, um, to share more of their personal stories, more of their musical journeys, um, with our audiences. Um, cause I think a lot of aspiring musicians, educators, composers, everybody kind of looks up to these people that are working in the field. And, um, the tendency is to kind of put them on a pedestal a little bit, like, you know, really aspiring to these people. Um, but they're just regular human beings as well. So I think it's really awesome to provide a space for these amazing 
people to just be people and share more about how they got to where they are and what they're passionate about and why they do what they do. And um, we try to do a, a good mix of composers, conductors, band directors, educators, performers, like pe- everybody kind of connected in a variety of ways to uh, the the band room or just, you know, music in general. Uh, but it's it's a lot of fun. It's a, a highlight of my week anytime we get to record. So, yeah. No, I, I love that. A lot of what you were uh, talking about, how you invite your guests and it was a way to kind of like humanize them and bring them more down to people's level where it's like, I can see myself in this person and these people. It's kind of what relative pitch has become without us even realizing it because, I mean, I don't know if Anthony and Michael remember, but we started this as a book club, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, um, back in 2020. Oh, I remember. Um, I burned that book. We So we <laughs> wanted to do a book club type podcast situation on Alex Ross's Wagnerism. Mm. And it was me and Anthony had this class. What was the name of the class, Anthony? Who cares? I, like, honestly, like that <laughs> class. <laughs> That, I mean, like, honestly, that I, class started I, all of this. I don't care. I have a little more respect, Anthony. Right. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, no, all, but, so no, but also, real, but seriously, though, seriously, I don't even think the professor knew what the name of the class was because we would show up <laughs> at like a Wednesday at, for, at three to like six, and we'll just be like six chairs in his office and we would just talk. I don't know. Oh, I don't it was it was a Tuesday because I couldn't take it. It was a Tuesday. <laughs> Michael knew more about the class than I did. So me and Laura would just sit there and be like, girl, what the hell is going on? I, I tr- <laughs> love the book, though. They the really book. did not do their homework. <laughs> they did. But then, we like, me. first We're of all, first of all sorry, they did it five minutes before class. And we did it. It was done. Anyways, <laughs> it, the faithful evening of relative pitch was an September, no, August, when I was in Michigan, I sent a text. Mm. I was like, y'all, we should record these. Because we would talk about, like, Beyonce, the music world. (laughs) We would talk about how some of the education habits happening out there. Mm. And then all this other stuff. And then then Lauren had the bright idea of, like, we should also do a book thing. Yeah. And then me and Anthony were so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And it started really well. But then I forgot I hate reading. Mm. Yes. Yeah, that catches up with me a lot too. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, let's start the band room. What I, what's it called? The band room bookshelf. Yep. I think we've done one. Yep. That's cute. Oh, so you and Lauren should do that. Like y'all should do that crossover. Lauren can do it. She will be the representative relative pitch because both me and Michael <laughs> we would call each other before we record and be like. Did you read this book? Like, what pages did, did you read and what pages did I read? Just like tag team it. I got yes. the first half, I you mean, get the second half. <laughs> I, I think if you go back and listen to season one and actually watch us, you would see how Lauren really is like invested in this book. And she would ask a question. Yes. I will never forget. Lauren asked the question. Michael came up with a fake answer and it was my turn to like talk on the subject. And I was just like, Ditto, whatever he said. Like, it was just great. Like, let this, you know, it's good. But it was, it's like, Very unserious. Very you know, unserious. I, again, I will say with that book that we chose, we, I think we knew the answer going into it of, can Wagner be canceled in today's culture? Like, truly, 
what is what does he represent you know and i think we knew the answer going in before it and the book just went it was kind of like a love fest for wagner more than information about wagner so it okay. was it was very um alex ross really loved wagner <laughs> obviously <laughs> He Obviously. did. Yeah. But I will commend Lauren. Lauren took us like a wet cardboard box and dragged <laughs> us all the way to the end of that book. She said, We are going no matter what. Yes. It's yeah. like your parents are in the back of a car. <laughs> <you're> like, <laughs> Someone's got to do it. But and I mean, it, was, it was a great time. It, it was. And it was a catalyst for us actually for kind of figuring out what made more sense for all of us to do together. And it was this mm-hmm. it's this idea of having conversations, especially because after the pandemic, I mean, that was our senior year of college and that's how we all met like formally was college and so it was this weird thing where we're all finishing all our auditions and we wanted it's it's party time right like we're about to be like oh party time and then boom pandemic and so we really didn't get to have the closure that i think everyone wants to have with your best friends from undergrad when you're moving on to we were all like i was going to new mexico michael's going to michigan and anthony's going to florida like we couldn't Mm -hmm. be more separated and so it was like we were we didn't want to say goodbye to each other just yet and so this was kind of a way as well to kind of just keep connected with each other not just like through texting and phone calls but through something that we could create together i think yeah, I think we can relate to that. Like Dylan and I have been recording all these podcasts um, remotely. Uh, we we did meet in Toronto at the University of Toronto, but we have been doing all of this, you know, living actually in different countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in Ontario, Canada. Dylan's Canadian too, but living in Arizona right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it's awesome to be able to have a project with your friends where you know, it gives you a reason, not that you need a reason to keep in touch, but it gives you something concrete that you're kind of all there to do together. Um, I definitely think Dylan and I hang out more because of the podcast than we would otherwise. So I'm thankful for that for sure. It definitely keeps you together. Like it truly keeps you together. I mean, we would have never thought that our little book club that Michael likes to take in, it's his thing. I sent the text. I sent the text. <laughs> Just so everyone knows. It was me. Everyone else. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I don't think we, we ever thought that we would be here. You know, all the things that we, we have done, we'll be here. And I'm pretty sure same thing mm-hmm. for y'all. Like, all the things that y'all have accomplished through the Band Room Podcast, you're like, whoa. And where have the time gone? Like, we, technically, <laughs> we're in season three, and it's like, where did all this time go? You know? Yeah. And when I was teaching down in Florida, those are some sometimes rough weeks. We all know as educators that, you know, it's not all rainbows and unicorns in a a public school setting. So I would look forward to on Sundays, you know, coming to hang out with friends and, and talk about music where I'm not saying, okay, it's C one two three on the clarinet is one, <laughs> you know? like so mm-hmm. I can actually talk about you know things that for four years we talked about so it's kind of like a refuge mm-hmm. um, this podcast mm-hmm. uh, but I do want to know more about you two so where both of you from I know both of you met each other at University of Tor- uh, Toronto but where were you from where did you go all of that good stuff goodness who wants to go first. 
You go. Me go. Okay. Um, I've been talking about my path a lot lately and it's a very strange one into, I I think people who end up going to do a doctorate in wind band conducting don't generally have the path that I have. And I talked to Michael a little bit about it in Chicago. Um, but I am a trumpet player. Uh, (laughs) I'm originally from Summerside, Prince Edward Island, Canada, which, oh, wow. Right on his lap. Ready to go. Yep. (laughs) Okay. Uh, so, um, but I'm from Canada's smallest province. Um, this island in the East Coast and um, had really wonderful educators growing up. I had a really wonderful private trumpet teacher. Um, I was not good at anything else except for music, at least at that point, I thought that's what I thought. Um, so I auditioned for a school that had the only full-time trumpet professor, and that was Mount Allison University in Sackville, New Brunswick, um, only an hour and a half away from home, so just far enough to misbehave. And, um, but it was a great time there. And that's kind of where, um, I began to explore this whole education thing and conducting and, and all of that. Uh, that being said, my high school band director, um, was Mark Ramsey, who's now Dr. Mark Ramsey, who's the head of choral studies at Western University in London, Ontario. And he was like, you know, he was the first guy to give me an opportunity conducting Anne McGinty's Red Balloon. Oh. <laughs> and, um, uh, so yeah, so I, so I knew I, I, I wanted to do something, but I just wasn't sure what it was. So I began many years of doing competitions and being pretty successful in Canada with them, um, doing all the solo trumpet soloisty things. Um, and then I ended up auditioning for a, uh, a program called the Canadian wind orchestra, which is one of our national honor ensembles in Canada. And they had a conducting fellowship program and, uh, I ended up meeting, um, Dr. Julian McKay and Dr. Mark Hopkins, who are now, you know, dear friends and mentors, but it was through that time that I discovered I want to do what they're doing. Like it was, it just blew my mind that week so much so that I, I went for a walk with Dr. McKay and I said, I'm going to be graduating in two years. I really want to come to the University of Toronto, do my master's in conducting with you. And I was so bright eyed and excited about the, the opportunity. And, and then she said, no. <laughs> uh, and it's, she said, usually someone who's going to go do this has a number of years of, of teaching experience before they'll come do it. Um, and I know that's not a path you want to do. So come do your master's with, uh, at the university of Toronto in trumpet. So I ended up doing that and, uh, taking all the graduate and conducting courses with her. And then that, that triggered my freelance career as a trumpet player in Toronto. Um, so I did a lot of weird things. I, I've been the backup for Sarah McLaughlin, for Roger Hodgson of Supertramp, video games live, opera, ballet, you name it. I've probably done it. I've been the music consultant for TV shows on Netflix and Global TV, which is a Canadian um, TV show Mm -hmm. uh, channel. Sorry. And and then that all that kind of started and adjudicating and clinics and conducting started pick up more. And the little job opened up four hours north of Toronto. Um, at Cambrian College, a little junior college. Um, so I just applied for it and I somehow got it. So I became a professor <laughs> and uh, and I was the head of winds and brass at Cambrian for three years. So I taught upper level theory. I taught anything you blew into, I gave lessons on and restarted the wind ensemble program doing those kind of things and taught conducting at Laurentian University just down the road from there. And uh, pandemic hit as it did everywhere. And um, numbers seemed to be kind of going down I kind of knew that the programs weren't um, completely healthy when I got there. Um, and it just seemed like good timing for me to go pursue my doctorate. 
So I ended up applying just to one school, Arizona State, and this is uh, where I'm sitting now, Arizona State. And I'm doing my doctorate with Dr. Jason Kassler, who's a Canadian, and um, and Jamal Duncan, um, Dr. Jamal Duncan, and James G. Hudson, who's our marching band uh, person, as well as lots of other things. But that's kind of a very long, zigzaggy path of Dylan Rockmatics. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Anthony. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I I know Dylan's story well, but I I actually always love hearing him tell it because it's I think just such a good example of like being open minded to changing course and and not experiencing that no from Jillian McKay as a rejection, but like a okay I'm I'm gonna do this now and then I'm gonna come back to it once I've had some life experience and um, I think that you would say, Dylan, that it worked out for the best, like that this path, even though it's been winding and, and weird, um, is is working out for you. And I'm I'm really proud of you. I think so. I mean, you're asking me that question at a weird time in my life. When I know. I'm applying I know. for jobs. I know. And it's like, oh, you want to be the music education professor? Uh, how many years of grade six did you teach? Mm, yeah. That's a zero. That's a zero. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway. That's the but thing yes, when, when you've done lots of things, right, is that like, I think there's sometimes an expectation that people are an expert in one thing and one thing only. And it's really challenging when you're the kind of person that is more well-rounded, multifaceted, like doing lots of different things. Personally, I'll tell my story too, but personally, like I would much <laughs> rather be the kind of person that is pretty good at a lot of things and connected in a lot of different worlds than like the absolute best at one singular thing. Mm -hmm. Like that's how I function and i think that's true for dylan too so it, yeah it's but it's tough then when you try to put it on paper and it looks like you don't have as much experience as right. some people that you're up against but you just have a lot more variety of experience which i think is also valuable anyway um mm -hmm. i where do i even begin um so <laughs> maybe in the present um, I do lots of things as well if you couldn't tell I'm passionate about about that about encouraging people to um, pursue multiple interests. And I definitely live by that. I do lots of things, but I think most people know me as a composer and I've been writing music since I was a kid. Um, not necessarily in a formal way, um, until, you know, somewhat recently, but I have always used music as a form of expression, a creative outlet and just, you know, personal form of communication. I think, um, I was, born in Ontario, Canada, where I, I still live in the province. I've moved around to many different towns within the province, but still living here. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't have a, a particularly musical family, but I was surrounded by people who were interested in music. And there was always music around in our house, in the car, on the way to and from places. My parents took me to um, kids orchestra shows and like local music theater and stuff. So I was the one that really expressed interest in being a musician and doing those activities myself. But I think whenever I did express that curiosity, I was met with support and encouragement from my family, which really helped. Um, and so I was a pretty shy kid um, and didn't talk a lot to people that I didn't know. Um, I think having music as a form of communication was really important to me because it allowed me to express things about myself and tell stories without actually talking. <laughs> um, and now I like to talk a lot, 
Um, but I still choose music as my primary form of communication whenever I can. So um, I'm very grateful and proud to have created a career where I get to do the thing that I love the most uh, to, to make a living. I think that's a really cool thing to be able to say. Um, but most of my musical training uh, came from school. So I started playing in concert band in elementary school and playing uh, the bass clarinet. That's my primary instrument and continued playing the bass clarinet among many, many other instruments throughout high school. Um, I went to a high school that had a pretty strong uh, arts program. There were lots of different ensembles. And um, I think just being exposed to lots of different uh, instrumentation, lots of different styles of music. Um, you know, I, I learned so many different instruments so that I could play in every ensemble. I learned to play the bassoon so I could play in the orchestra. I learned to play the saxophone so I could play in the jazz band. Like I just wanted to do everything, um, which, you know, that's still how I, I live now. So it's pretty fun. Um, and I started trying to write music for the ensembles that I was in. I think that's kind of really how I got started. And my first few attempts at writing large ensemble works were played by my friends um, in the classrooms where I learned, um, supervised by the teachers that I learned from. And I think that really set me up for um, just feeling motivated and inspired to keep doing that because it was such a supportive environment to kind of take risks and try things among people that I felt um, safe with. And uh, long story short, so I, I ended up studying music education at the University of Toronto. Um, I have no formal training in composition, but it's just always been the thing that I do um, to tell stories. <laughs> and I think that my experience as an educator really um, impacts the music that I'm able to write and it impacts the way I'm able to interact with students and musicians of all ages because I know what it's like to be in their shoes. I know what it's like to be the teacher or the conductor at the front. I know what it's like to be in the audience, to be, you know, just in the community. And I think all those multiple perspectives um, are really helpful for me in my career as a composer now. So it's been five years since I quit my full-time teaching job to pursue full-time composer freelance life. And there's definitely no going back. Um, I do a combination of lots of things now, mostly writing music, but also, you know, being a guest artist, guest speaker in different settings. I'm a forest therapy guide. Um, I'm performing in some musicals, so never a dull moment. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about how I got here. And I also know Kate's story very well, but I also enjoy hearing it every time because <laughs> I think both of us are people who um, have seen structure in which in our field and then said, okay, well, let's maybe build it out for, for our own lives and see how that looks in our own. And, and Kate's a wonderful example of, of yeah, seeing that structure, but also kind of making her own and making a path for herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so admirable um, from both of you of yes. hearing the journey um, from where you started to where you are now and just the twists, the turns, things that maybe in that moment you could have seen as a, a step back, but you saw as an opportunity. And yeah, Dylan, the idea we, I mean, we go through music training and it's this idea that we're all becoming specialists, right? Mm -hmm. In one thing, they really want us to be great at this one thing. And I think everyone on this, on this um, right here in this moment, 
we all saw that and challenged it. And I think that challenge is what brought us to be where we are now, because we're not, none of us are just one thing. We are excellent at so many different things um, and then great at a few more things and then good at other things, you know, but um, it's this idea that I think now there's a bigger emphasis being placed on being well-rounded and having multiple interests and being able to do multiple things really, really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that some Michael, especially with his schedule, good God, like it's something that <laughs> don't smile about it, but I mean, do smile about it, but <laughs> um, it's fun. It's fun to interact with people who are in this mode of like, let's, what's the next thing? Like a never satisfied, like, uh, how can we be more impactful? Cause more than anything, I think it is that it's not really like we're trying to stack resumes or anything, but it's like, we figure out something new and go, wait, I think I might be interested in that. Why not? try it you mm-hmm. know so that's true. That's true. i mean at, in undergrad i was trying to stack a resume and stack a bag at the same time <laughs> and now i'm just like mm. i'm trying to survive rent is in, in atlanta is expensive mm. so let me stack this bag real quick because if i was <laughs> like this bag i'm gonna be on it i'm gonna be like anthony you got a refrigerator box for me to stay in for a minute <laughs> I just um, hate I loved hearing your story because my experience with you as a composer is I my gra- brass quintet last year performed Valley Views. Yay, thank you. And <laughs> I emailed you very last minute the day of or the day before the recital. I was like, hey. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> and you were able to see it. I think you actually put us on your website, I think, or on the YouTube thing. And yeah. I was like, and then you just said, I'm not a formal composer. I'm like, <laughs> I wish I could write music like that. I'm not going to not know how to do the composition thing. It was, that's really cool. That is really cool. Thank you. I mean, I do have formal training in music, right? It's just that yeah. I, I haven't taken composition courses. Like I was doing a double degree program um in undergrad and there was no more space for any other courses i i wish that i could have taken lots of different things um and i could rant for forever on this topic of like institutions forcing us to like choose a path you know when there's lots of performers that want to learn about conducting there's lots of teachers that want to perform there's lots of people that want to learn orchestration that are not composition majors uh, myself included and so because i wasn't able to take those courses mm-hmm. um you know, I I had to kind of find alternative methods to learn about these things on my own. And I think that's part of what makes my music what it is, is that it's just really like, I've come to this knowledge in an, a really organic way. It's just things I've picked up along the way from being a performer, from being a teacher and seeing the kind of music that musicians need and the kind of music that people want to play and challenging people, but, you know, within a more accessible framework, like all of that stuff comes from my lived experience, not from being taught how to do it. Um, And I don't necessarily think that there's a right or wrong way to be an artist. Like there's lots of people doing absolutely wonderful things that do have a degree in that exact thing. And that's totally fine as well. But I, I like to think that, you know, we can be examples of of both, like that it's possible to build a career in something that you don't have a piece of paper telling you that you can do. Um, yeah, so that's yes. my. That's I love my that. <laughs> it's it's so um, 
what you just said about, you know, an undergrad, they tell you only one thing. Um, so when I came in to college, I was a, a vocal, uh, a core music education major. Um, and all of my life up until that point, I would I did both and I loved both and I wanted to continue to do both. But at that time they were saying, um, no, you can't do that. And I was like, one thing my parents taught me is if my mind is on it, nobody can tell me what I cannot do because I can. Um, and, you know, having that conversation and, and telling you, like, I'm serious, like, I'm going to do this. And then, of course, the next thing is, well, you're going to be very busy. I know. I said this, didn't I not? Like, you know, I, like, I know this uh, and I'm still asking for this, which brings me to a great question um, of, for both of you is, we train our students to be one one thing, but then when it comes to you know getting a job and they don't have all experiences, they're like, well, we're not going to hire you because you don't have this. Are we truly setting our students up for success if we're limiting them in in, in their formative years? Oof, yeah, it's a big one. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, if you don't mind me going first, it's, it's something I've been thinking about a lot because it's kind of in, involves my research. Uh, I, I, I graduate in, at, in May, hopefully, if I do everything correctly. Um, but my research is centered around servant leadership and uh, specifically Robert Greenleaf's model of servant leadership and, and identifying those characteristics in large ensemble conductors. So this idea that we serve the the ensemble that's in front of us, we're listening, we're being empathetic, we understand their needs, not necessarily the needs of an institution or the needs of a conductor. Um, and the, and the, the, my favorite idea of it is the idea that we are growing people beyond music. Because at some point, they will leave our worlds as much as we don't want them to, but they will and they have to be um, beautiful artists and creators and people who can think for themselves um, without us telling them how to do it. So uh, a lot of my thought now is trying to figure out how we can lead in the best way to create those um, students who have agency and are empowered to explore beyond just playing a forte piano crescendo in band class, because that's not going to get you a job nor is it going to probably bring you any happiness. So it, it, so what you're talking about is something that I, I'm constantly thinking about. I don't know if I have an answer quite yet, but. <laughs> yeah, I'll just, I'll just add to that, that I think um, a lot of music teachers, because they like that's music is the thing that they love the most. Sometimes they expect that their students will feel the same way. And we tend to kind of teach towards the students that model after our own like views on how amazing music is. And, you know, assuming that people want to maybe go off into careers in the arts um, and sometimes teachers tend to focus more efforts on preparing those students for the music world out there um, and forgetting that there are other students in the room that have no plans necessarily to be a professional musician or to continue their music studies at the post-secondary level or whatever it is, but are thrilled to be there in that moment. And that there are transferable skills, countless things that you learn in the music room that can be applied everywhere else in your life. 
I think that yeah. my sense of confidence, my ability to connect with other people, to work together in a team kind of setting, to take a leadership role sometimes, knowing how to listen and respond, knowing how to make room for someone else, like just all of these things that we kind of have to figure out over the course of our lives are strengthened in in music classes, in ensemble rehearsals. And so really just remembering that, yeah, teaching to the entire room, teaching uh, to everybody who's there, who wants to show up and whether they spend one semester or five years in your music room, like they still deserve that same love and attention and support and encouragement, regardless of what they're going to do with you know, their their lives from there, regardless of how they're going to take all of those experiences and apply them in, in a variety of other ways. Um, and I think that the more well-rounded that people can be within music, but also just more like in general, the more equipped they are as they go off into the real world. Because like you've all said, even within a role as a teacher, you're doing so many things. You're doing so many like mini jobs within your job, right? And same goes for performers, even people that are like really, really high level performers, soloists or orchestral musicians or whatever it is, that would like seemingly be one thing that they're doing. That's their main job, their main gig. There's still so much within that that they're doing. You have to build so many different skill sets. Um, so I think it's just, it's unrealistic to focus on any one thing. I think just being, being realistic, you have to be able to do a bit of everything and um, be flexible and adaptable and stuff in the real world. Yeah, I, I, that's so interesting. Um, I just read an article, I'm in this class right now, that's like music and community. And we talk a lot about how they like, just the thought of, in general, how music education seems to be going towards like the individual students and how to cultivate like community within more than just thinking about how do we get our kids to play better. Um, and so one of the articles was speaking to how where it, it seems like within music education it's just been how do we create great ensemble performers, but not how do we create lifelong like music consumers and consumers of specifically like classical music and supporters, mm -hmm. because I've taught many students who have gone on to do non-music careers, but they're like, I will always like make sure when I go off, I'm going to find the local symphony so I can go see shows or I'm going to always like want to just play music and da da da, or maybe play in a local organization so I can just continue playing. There's not as much, at least from what I saw, especially growing up, my, now my band, my educator, my uh, middle and high school uh, band director was everything to me. And he was the reason why I wanted to do this in the first place. So he was a great example of how to create lifelong consumers. But there's, especially when I understand when evaluations are such a big thing, and you have to think about how you as an educator look for maybe your own aspirations, you're so focused on how to get to the next step that you're not really thinking about, like Kate, you were talking about um, the students who may not necessarily want to have a career in the arts, but they want to feel seen. They want to feel like their presence in the classroom is still something that's valuable. And I think that is what I love to express with my students. Like you don't have to go into the arts, but also like there's such a, a, a bad <laughs> stigma of what a career in the arts actually is. It has to just be performance. It has to just be education. And as we're seeing now from this conversation, no, 
Absolutely not. Like I working with, I work at the Seattle Symphony and I can tell you the amount of people who we have working for us who don't have a background in music, but they're so amazing at finance. They're amazing at Devo. They're amazing at marketing com communications. And it's the love of music that they were like, I really wanted to work at the symphony mm -hmm. to use my skills that I have in this random thing <laughs> to bring to this organization to make it even better. And that's something within the work that I do when I get to talk and mentor to young students who come to the hall is I always like to show them like you can have a career in this if you want to and it doesn't have to necessarily just be teaching or performing and there's so many different ways but also like it's just important to like understand the significance of art it's in everything we consume it's every like when you go home you turn on the radio you turn on tv like whatever it is art there is someone who sat down and created what you are consuming and we just have to put a bigger emphasis on it's, it doesn't have to be this and this, but also mm -hmm. we in the classroom need to start making our curriculum reflect that and not just like Kate, like you were saying of just, just the students who were gonna go into it regardless, you know? Absolutely. Oh, and this is related, but not related just because you mentioned it. I have a friend who's the new assistant conductor for Seattle Symphony. Is it Sunny? I love Sunny I so much. Sunny. Sunny <laughs> is the literally her name is her persona. She's sorry, I'm sorry, folks. Fabulous. No, let's plug Sunny. No, let's wait. talk about Sunny because I think let's Sunny. Talk about Sunny. <laughs> I think Sunny exemplifies a lot of what you're talking about right now. Yes. Sunny is one of the most badass musicians I've ever met in my whole entire life. One of the finest conductors like top three she is amazing and on top of that one of the kindest people i've ever met like truly and i'm not just saying that like no. i if, if if i could just be a little bit more like sunny i would be i would be a much better person the <laughs> uh, world would be better if everyone just had a piece of sunny like yeah. oh my gosh i'm gonna times. i'm gonna message her right after this um <laughs> anyway but no it's it, it you're right and and uh and and back, you know, back to Anthony's original question, talking about under, undergraduate studies and and it, it seemed I mean, it, it's slowly changing as we can see, but a lot of institutions are are serving goals in which existed a long time ago where, you know, my my trumpet teacher, my masters, he auditioned for the Quebec Symphony Orchestra right out of school, principal trumpet. Like those, you know, that doesn't ex that doesn't happen anymore. Where there's, you know, all of these jobs and all these things, or you hear all these old crazy, like you know, Jerry Junkins conducting a journey, and he's a, you know, a, a, one, he's one of our best. But his yeah. his journey is in, in, incredible to hear about, and I don't think it really happens anymore. Where you know, you know someone and you talk to someone, yeah. and you're of course a brilliant musician and educator, but like those kind of things aren't happening. So it's nice to see now entrepreneurship courses happening um just the like i have people coming up to me asking me about podcast creation projects because they are having to do that and in, in their classes and so it's it's interesting to see how all this audio editing stuff has become part of my life and has become become part of the business and not to mention graphic design and all the crazy stuff that kate has to do as a self-published composer and these are all things that we don't really talk about in an undergraduate degree let alone a graduate degree so yeah so it's it's nice to see stuff starting to go a little more rounded but it's still a it's still an old world kind of institution that we operate in i forgot who who originally said this but every uh, i say it all the time of if we took somebody from like 1950s band room and plop them like here, 
CJT. That was her. Yep, CJT. And plop them in a band room today, they would know how to operate. They would know exactly, okay, I need to to get my instrument together. I need to warm up. Okay, music is going to be starting here. Like, they know exactly what it is. And uh, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, you know, yes, you know the ways of, of the music rehearsal, but what about the other things? You know, the, the things that are in the middle. And um, back to just the point that we're having of being a kind person in this field goes a long way. Um, it goes a very long way. And I feel like um, we've all probably have had some instances where we've met some not so kind people. And uh, I'm like, well, in, in music, because it is a big field, but it's so small. Everyone really does kind of know each other. Mm-hmm. In 2023, it can no longer be that way. And and this goes to kind of like the starter of the pitch of, you know, 2020 with the, the social unrest. Um, that's where we started our topics talking about. And now we're seeing a lot of those former professors that would say things out of pocket, um, you know, in their rehearsals, they're slowly starting to fade away and things like that. I think we have to go more in that direction to say what you said was wrong. It was unkind. And we don't have a space for that. We don't have space for that. Mm-hmm. And which goes to the with Jerry Duncan of like if we in our generation we cannot just graduate with uh, a bachelor's and say oh I'm now conducting Dallas wins or you know like I'm doing this um, and I think that we should really start to shift our curriculum to get our students and and our people that love music used to that. Because I think we're still selling, our selling point of music is the olden days. And it's like, mm-mm. in this field, there's, it's multifaceted. So we need to do more than just one thing here. Yeah. Um, on the piggyback off of that, Anthony, what we we're talking about earlier is I, so I uh, applied for the job that I'm currently in as the Trumper Professor at University of North Georgia. And the biggest thing that I called Lauren and Anthony that they were saying was I was too young. Mm. Just graduated in May, and this is July. And I'm like, but y'all, what y'all want me to do? Like, we, that's why we have graduate assistantships and teaching assistantships. So we're gaining that experience while earning a degree. But that, to some people, is not viewed like that. They're like, oh, you're still a student. Okay, then why do we have these things? Why don't we just have more scholarship money for everybody then? If we're just going to be students and going to be looked at students after, why don't we have this? And it's that was crazy for me. But now when I'm teaching, I have uh, arrangement projects because you never know when you're in a band room and you need a flex arrangement, but there's not a flex arrangement or you need you have to make this work and this work. You got to get down there and do the nitty gritty. Um, we're starting a trumpet studio Instagram, but it's not on me. Mm-hmm. I'm getting my students to all co-run it because first of all, I'm awful at social media, <laughs> just absolutely terrible. But then they have the experience of branding themselves. Um, we have studio class and it's not always a master class. 
One week is like, how did I land X and X and X while I was a student of teaching sectionals and earning money while I was a student? How did my friends do this? It's like different time. What do y'all want to know about? Contract writing. Okay. I don't know about that. Let me call my people. <laughs> that's like, a big one. Yeah, he can different talk about things, that. like because that's what a modern musician is. You can't just go and play your B flat scale impeccably well. Even though in my head, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, if we can do that, we can change the world. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but it's also it's weird to realize because Anthony was talking about good people in the music industry and uh, <clears throat> not throwing shade or anything. Um, in my undergrad, way. in my undergrad, there was two people, and I was like, you know, you could just be good at what you do and really rude and still make like 70 K. And then as I grew up, I was like, yeah, but no one else in the country likes them. Mm. This is great. Um, so let me not do that. Let me start sending out my apology letters um, saying, I'm sorry to people um, and just be a better person. And that's what I tell my kids. I'm like, y'all, we can, I can teach you the notes. I can teach you the rhythms. We can talk about phrasing, but all I want you to do is graduate high school in four years or college or wherever you are and be a decent person. Like you can't be great today. Just be slightly better tomorrow. Mm. Just don't be rude to the next person. Don't hit them with your mouthpiece. Let's start with it. <laughs> <laughs> <And> <laughs> then let's graduate from there. But Lauren, you kind of were like making a little face earlier, which, what you got? About what? <sighs> what was it? Um, oh, graduate assistantships, how people are too young, but that's why we have them. But they say we don't have experience. It's, so that was my whole thing because we all, I mean, are 25 and under on this podcast on relative pitch. And so the whole thing, though, is that we, again, we are all excellent. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not 25 and under. No, 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 sorry, yeah, yeah. Rel no relative pitch. <laughs> relative pitch. Okay. Y'all look on the, on the band room. On the oh. band room, we're 30 plus, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Born no, the same year, baby. This is something that, and also, we salute our seniors. We do salute our seniors. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. No, but Mercy. this is. She's coming for y'all. Okay. Anyway, she's coming for y'all. Continue no, 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 your point, Lauren. Okay, here's Apologies. the thing, though. We, when we started this, we were 21, 22, and the whole thing idea was we were like are people even going to listen though because we mm. are so young and there's this it's so weird because for a very long time i didn't even put myself into into positions where i could have certain opportunities because i didn't think people would want to even listen to me and the all, i mean all of this to say when michael was talking about um them saying oh it's just that your age and i was kind of like well how if you want what how do you want him to have more experience if you won't give him the opportunity to have the experience and so it's the same thing about we just went through a whole round of auditions here at the symphony and there's a resume round and those resume rounds cut out so many people because they go well you haven't had any like um orchestral playing experience and it's like yeah because i i'm trying to audition to have the experience it's like yeah. it's insane because it's like Oh my, but then you, people are like, well, if you have the certain names of certain schools or certain teachers on your resume, that's how you get through it. I'm like, you're missing so many amazing people who are coming from university. Because first of all, no one's, I'm sorry, you will never catch me paying for conservatory. I will be in my grave. I will <laughs> die before I pay 70 plus K a year to go study at so-and-so and so-and-so -and -so just to get yelled at and get trauma. I can do that at home. Leave me alone. I can do like, that at home. <laughs> 
But like th this idea that it's so much gatekeeping that happens because of these certain things. But yeah, I mean, age ageism is the thing both ways. And that's something that we're seeing because I'm sorry, I've seen people in jobs who've been in jobs for 20, 30 plus years shouldn't have that job. You just shouldn't have the job. And they have it because of experience, seniority. So this is a topic we get on and I get heated about very quickly <laughs> because <laughs> we, we all have had these instances of people telling us we're too young for this. Oh, take time and da da. But I'm like, if I have the experience, if I'm ready for this right now, just because maybe you weren't ready for it when you were my age or most of your other students or people who you normally have applying for this job are older than me, but they weren't ready when they are my age, doesn't mean that I'm, on, we're not the same. Mm -hmm. Like we're not the same. We could have different experiences that have allowed us to come to this point earlier in our careers than than most. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I was making that face, Michael. <laughs> I just want to make sure. <laughs> well, this is I, I don't want to talk too much, but uh, I guess that's why you asked us here. So maybe I can talk. Um, th this is something that I I was really upset about at the beginning of my career, like right out of my master's. <clears throat> I was really lucky that um, I began to build a bit of your rep reputation just through calling high school teachers and being like, hey, can I come work with your band and I'm doing those things. But then someone gave me a chance to adjudicate at a festival, and the festival that I went to as a, as a child, the Atlantic Music Festival in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And that's where I met Jason Kastler. But I remember I was 25 and um, I remember coming out of a room and seeing a very well-known um, music director from my home province. And he said, oh, aren't you a little young to be here and doing this? Yeah. And I remember being, I remember what I wanted to say. And I, I you know, I, I, I know when not to say stuff, but uh, I wanted to say, why don't you come in the clinic room and watch me work and then tell me that. So there's, there's all of these things that happen. And it, it, it happened whenever I started teaching college too, but luckily I went gray a little bit early. So that, that has helped me. <laughs> but the, the idea that these these opinions and these structures will constantly exist in what we do and i as much as i want them to go away and i and i and i think we all strive to get rid of those thoughts um all we can do is be the best us that we can be and be the best artist that we can be and the best educator and try to make a difference and eventually someone will notice and eventually you'll get a chance hopefully hopefully to to do and, and show that but so for me i it's it's been a lot of just trying to turn off those people whenever I hear them and, and understand that I am doing good work. I am worthy and I am making a difference and then continuing that as hard as it is. I mean, you know, we all have things we need to lean on in our, in our own, uh, our, our own wise to why I have to keep looking back to why I do what I do. But every time that happens, I always, I always make sure to remember why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, and, you know, going back, um, having like you guys on here and having you as an example of something that's come before us is really important to us. And I think, you know, if you look at our guest roster, not all of our guests are our age. Actually, we just, who was the first, Nazir McFadden was the first guest we had on who was younger than us. And I felt very <laughs> old. I was like, are you kidding me? I had, I was reigning champ when <laughs> <and> this happened. <laughs> But but mostly the guests who we have on are um, are older than us. But also, I think it's really important because, first of all, we have to we always look to 
people who came before us to go like you paved the way like you what you're doing now is allowing for us to enter into this these new spaces and have opportunities that may not have existed if you weren't there to create those for us and to also show us that it's possible um so as much as we complain and like ah we're all the youngins we really do (laughs) we really do appreciate having you all as examples and also you know, there's this idea that if you're not doing something, you're not a prodigy by the age of 21. It's like, and that's the issue a lot, right? With a lot of this is the fact that there does seem to be like, if you're not doing it by, and that used, that is how it used to be, but that is no longer, it's just not real. It's not realistic anymore. And so I think it's important to see people who are in different stages of their career, who are still experiencing new things, who are still trying new things, who are still opening new doors for different people, who are still having new opportunities, it's inspiring. Um, so I wanted to say that we were joking, making a lot of jokes about age, but it's very <laughs> important to have you on here with us. But I will also say it's like we're still in the same generation. Oh yeah. And that and whenever we have this conversation, I think of things more generationally. Um, so like our generation that that you know. We have come up and we're kind of in this like middle-ish generation. We're not the Gen Z people. Mm-hmm. Like they truly are like in their Is own Gen world. Z younger than us? Yeah, yeah they're the 2000s. So. Okay. Who's older than us? That's like millennials. Gen- millennials. Okay. okay. Millennials. Yeah. But you know, we well, yeah, like I I we're kind of in that. And then the ones before us and the ones before them, like I just remember, you know kind of what you the experience you had dylan of oh you're here you're a little young to be here well i believe i auditioned and i got a spot here so um i think i belong here and you know and it goes into that imposter syndrome that maybe lauren was talking about earlier you know will anybody truly listen to me will anybody respect what i have to say but one thing that about me is I'm uh, going to a room and I'm just I'm just gonna yell honestly. It, it, <laughs> it, it, right, it's going. You're going to hear it regardless. You can do whatever whatever you want to do with that information, but I am going to say it. And I think that's where this podcast has like been uh, an amazing thing for me because I'm like you know what I'm gonna say whatever the hell I want to say <laughs> you can go you can do with that information what you will um because everyone who knows me I'm not gonna hold my tongue I, I truly will not um, I'm gonna be respectful respectfully mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna let you know what it is and, and I think that's where, where are we are having these conversations in our generation is having these conversations about the social unrest and and how the music profession has not always been kind to people that didn't look like, you know, what a musician is. You know, mm-hmm. what does a conductor look like? Well, 50 years ago would not have been somebody that looked like me, that has hoop earrings and this chain and this <laughs> red jacket on right now. You know, it's like that would not have been it or or what does the composer look like i that would not have been a thing so i think thankfully for our generation we're saying no i believe everyone should have a seat at the table and everybody seat should be respected 
at this table as well. And so hopefully from both of our podcasts, we are shaping the future for it to be better. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I have so many things to say. I will, <laughs> I'll pick two. Okay. So one, you just mentioned um, Anthony about a seat at the table. I think so much of the work that, that we're doing is um, rather than arguing over who gets the seats at this table, the historic table that has always been there, the same guests at the same table forever and ever. We're like, let's just sit down over here. Like, I feel like we're just creating our own ways to do things and setting new examples for the next generation of musicians and artists and creative people to see that you, you don't have to sit here if it doesn't feel right for you. You can just go like bring your own table in the room. (laughs) And I know we're talking metaphors, but like, I think, um, yeah, there's just, we don't have to do it the way that it's always been done. And I think part of the reason that things are evolving now in music education and just music overall is because there are people of our generation, the next generation, you know, everywhere in between that are saying like, this, this doesn't have to be this way anymore. Let's make our own rules. Let's carve our own paths, you know? And, um, I think it's, it's really awesome, but it's, it's a lot of work that a lot of us are putting in to make that happen, to create those waves of change, um, as subtle and slow as they may be, they are happening, but it takes a lot of work. So I think it's great that we're talking about it. Um, and just a note on the age thing, I've always thought it's hilarious that like, you know, job descriptions where they're asking for X amount of experience, but like, how do they expect you to get that experience if they're not willing to give you that experience? Like, what did they think is, how do they think people are going to get paid work if they don't pay them to do the work that they're qualified to do? You know, it's just, what a, what a mess. Um, I, I think it's also just bringing it back to kind of podcast stuff. I know that Dylan and I are passionate about um, bringing on guests that, showcase or that represent, you know, a wide age range. Um, It's important to have these uh, kind of pillars in our industry, people who have been working in the field for decades, who have like these amazing stories to share, all this wisdom over their careers that we're able to learn from. But um, I'm always pushing for like, let's have our peers, like let's have people that are in their twenties and thirties and forties, like that are maybe just starting out at a new job or what, like I want, if I were a listener of this podcast and I, and I was before Dylan invited me to be co-host, um, I, I would want to hear from people like me. I would want to hear from people that are at different stages of career development, different stages of their life. Um, because there's so much to be learned from one another, whether you're just starting out or you're 10 years in or you're 50 years in. Um, so it's, yeah, that's, I think it's just an interesting conversation and and definitely an aspect of, you know, what we're thinking about when we invite people on to chat with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm really interested and I know you've had a couple of these people on your podcast as well, but like let I'm interested to see where like Kataj's thinking comes from when we interviewed him to like where he's who knows right. there's no ceiling to that where Kevin Day you know our conversation with him and now he's you know big old professor of music but he uh, lives in my town I yeah. have to mention like Cynthia <laughs> oh. Johnson Turner Kevin Day um Latoya, Latoya Webb 
um and and myself all live in the same town which is just like really random to me um i'm I, not jealous it's fine it's right. it's great it's a party. <laughs> that's a party. so everybody go to that town yeah <laughs> right. mm-hmm. that's a party. That? no exactly though but you know let's see where everybody is going to be um in these next coming years because i mean the there is no limit for all mm-hmm. of us there truly isn't. I'm so excited to see where we all end up, you know, 40 years. Yeah, honestly, 40 years from now. I wish that. I know. 40. <laughs> 40 years from I don't know. If, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to wake up. Like, oh, hold on now. Wait a minute. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing four days from now. Right. Who knows? But I mean, we all have been to Midwest and we see how like they are. Uh oh, uh oh. No, oh, 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 we ain't got time for that now. Can't open that can okay, of now we've already had our call at Midwest session. Don't come on out. Come on out. Because we did. We did for an hour. An don't, hour. Don't get us started. Oh, check the episode. Okay, I'll I'll That's go back. Listen the link. Listen the oh, link. Thank you. <laughs> but no, I mean, I just can't wait for us to, or I can wait. It's going to be fantastic to see all the things that we accomplish you know with our platforms that we have we are changing it for the better and we are saying these are our voices and we're and it's unfiltered and and please respect what we are saying and because we're making it for us for the people that are coming after us as well and i'm just so happy that you joined us today to talk about you know band room podcast well it's a pitch podcast and this collaboration that i know in the future is going to be very strong um because we are making necessary uh change and good conversations mm-hmm. i just want to say yeah. that thanks for having us it's 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 been really cool seeing where this podcast is come and how far it's come and what what who knows what's going to be in the future um and and i i meant it that evening that i saw all of you in the room full of conductors i just beelined it right for you because you're all i thought from listening to the podcast wonderful people and it was true and i i want to thank you for for what you're doing and what you're saying and who it's affecting and we were we were talking about uh, right at the beginning talking about people being able to see themselves and what we're doing and i know only recently kate and i are starting to hear more about that i mean i've heard from someone who's applying for a doctorate program because they listened to the podcast and they found a pathway for them mm-hmm. that they didn't know existed before so to think about all of the, the really cool things that we're all doing and the people we're affecting is, is uh really exciting mm-hmm. mm-hmm. beauty that's a beauty we're all just having a party and that's it <laughs> yeah, we're party. just having a party <laughs> Honestly, uh, next Midwest we're having we're probably gonna have a good old uh, hang a social. So you know, whoever listening, come on to the social because again, we're just having a party. Mm-hmm. Period. Well, it has been a pleasure having you all on, and please, listeners, go and follow, become part of Band Room Podcast Village as well. Um, they are doing amazing things over there, and please check out everything that is linked down below. Um, and we hope to see you next week. Thank y'all. See ya. Thank you.